0: back I'm Joe, that's Julie. Another two weeks have gone by, so it's time to visit again, catch up on what we've been reading.
1: Which you can start.
0: Well, I am sure everyone, and I mean everyone, who <laughs> listens to this award-winning podcast of ours is waiting with bated breath to hear that I have indeed read a biography of the great, the legendary, the truly unique Millard Fillmore. Uh, Millard Fillmore by Paul Finkelman. Both counts as another biography in my presidential quest, and at I think 137 pages before the notes, it's probably the shortest yet. And how this, did they
1: even have? How could they cover anything of importance in that few pages? Was well, it Hatchet longer than that.
0: Yes. Gosh. Uh, more happens in Hatchet. Fillmore <laughs> serves out the rest of Zachary Taylor's term, and manages to make himself such a. Uh, complete outcast that his own party won't re-nominate him. Uh, He's kind of hated in his home state. Fillmore, uh, let's just say that Paul Finkelman is not a fan.
1: Why would you write a biography of somebody that you dislike?
0: I think he wrote this biography to basically show all the opportunities that Fillmore missed. And that really is the abiding sentiment that comes away from this book. You look at this and you go every time this guy had a decision to make he made the wrong choice.
1: Still, but what a frustrating process to go through research and to write this book and pitch this book and sell this book all for someone you don't respect.
0: I don't know that he, I would say he doesn't respect him. He just thinks every time he was faced with a big decision I it's almost magical. It's like, well, you know, surely he just went at this this way so he would do the same thing here. No, he'll Go 180 degrees the other direction and thus make yet another wrong decision. Uh, Fillmore was so obsessed, he was from Buffalo, New York, he was so obsessed with placating the South on slavery that he becomes anathema to the Northerners. And meanwhile, the Southerners don't really trust him either. Um, You know, just an incredibly difficult time to be president with the Compromise of 1850 and all this. Uh, even a more capable leader would have had his work really cut out for him. But Finkelman makes a pretty good case that Fillmore was not that capable leader. So
1: Well, at least you didn't have to read more than 137 pages about
0: him. Well, and there were like two biographies of Fillmore. So there was this, and then there was the like 500-page one, which was just like, and then he led the country through this. I mean, dude actually at some points like pulls out that biography in his book and is like, this is nonsense. So... Anyway, the short one it was.
1: The, the drama between the Fillmore biographers. Well, and the
0: other one probably wrote his book in 1952, so it gets a little difficult to throw shade, but uh, Finkelman did it. Uh, it. It was a good book. I don't know how fair that is, but I'm not going to read the, the 70-year-old one that's probably 600 pages to find out. So... On to Franklin Pierce. I
1: wouldn't have read the first one, so I admire your fortitude.
0: Pierce and Buchanan, and then we get to Lincoln, and surely after that things will at least be more interesting. Have you
1: already chosen which of the many Lincoln biographies you've read that you're going to reread?
0: I'm leaning toward Team of Rivals just because it is such a wonderful book, but uh, the, the verdict's out. I haven't read the Donald Herbert one in years. I might pull that one back out. I read the Carl Sandburg one a while back, but Team Arrivals is is in the lead. But Franklin Pierce first, as soon as the (laughs) library gets him in for me. Uh, In other reading, 1776 by David McCulloch, uh, which is essentially a military history. I don't know a ton about the Revolutionary War. And in 1776, McCulloch basically says... Two things. One is that everything that can go wrong for the Americans goes wrong at some point. And two is through sheer gumption, courage, and the occasional bouts of good luck, they pulled through it anyway. And that basically is the story of the American Revolution from a military perspective. Uh, It's a badly kept secret that Washington was a hideously uh, bad general, to be quite blunt. But he uh, he pulled the irons out of the fire when he had to, uh, you know.
1: I take offense at that. I've watched Hamilton too many times.
0: Well, he was a great leader. <laughs> he did have that going for him. He was the kind of guy who you would do things like hang out in Valley Forge with no shoes for. But when it came to actually fighting battles, his record was less than ideal. So, anyway, things you can learn from David McCulloch. Very good book. He read the audiobook himself, which I always like particularly since he's one of those great legendary voices. And the third and final of my entries, Adolph Rupp and the Rise of Kentucky Basketball by James Duane Boland. This came out a couple years ago. Uh, I had meant to read it for a while, finally got through it. A mixed bag for me. Uh, I probably know more about Rupp than the average bear, uh, but I learned a lot about his early years. I thought Boland did an excellent job uh, chronicling his his youth and his development into this great coach. I thought he kind of cut short shrift on particularly the latter part of the Kentucky years and almost nothing uh, after Rupp's retirement, which I would have been interested to learn more about. But it kind of felt like he got three quarters through the book and said, well, we're close enough to the end. Let's just kind of wrap this one up. So. Uh, On the whole, I think it was a good book. If you don't know anything about Rupp or want to learn about Rupp, particularly his early years, uh, this is a great place to start. And there's really not much else in the field as far as serious biography of the man. But if you come to it looking for a lot of insight into the 1960s and 1970s with Rupp, you're probably not going to get it here.
1: That's not your last book.
0: Well, I mean, there's the shared book, but that's the last... I thought you
1: read the Westingham. Oh,
0: oh, oh, you are correct. I keep forgetting this. (laughs) I do, because I read it with Ryan, and The Westing Game by Ellen Raskin, which is one I know I've read many times, I may have talked about on here before, but it was one of my favorite YA mysteries when I was a kid, so I know I've gone through it with now both of our kids, and there are aspects of The Westing Game that are dated, but it's... Is
1: it YA or is it middle grades?
0: It's probably middle grades, but... (laughs) That's what I was thinking. It would be straddling that line. I mean... uh... Uh, You read
1: it to Natalie when she was very small, and Ryan read it with you then, too. He just doesn't remember it, which is why you reread it with him, which makes me think this is middle grades.
0: Probably mostly kind of, sorta. I've never read The Westing Game. So maybe you should read The Westing Game, because (laughs) it is a page-turner. It it really is a a fun little mystery. Again, there are parts of the book that feel very dated. It's not a new book whatsoever. It was not a new book when I read it, so um, beware of that. But that aside, uh, it's a page-turner. You will never in a hundred years guess the uh, outcome of it, but... Take that as a challenge, if you dare.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, speaking of mysteries, my first book that I read for these past two weeks was also a mystery. It's called Finley Donovan Knocks Him Dead by Ella Casimano. It's the second in the series. I read the first one whenever it came out. It was called Finley Donovan is Killing It. That one, if you remember, was about a fiction writer who is... Thoroughly stuck planning her next thriller. She um, has a conversation with her agent about the plot of the story, and they go back and forth on the murder involved in it and how it should be accomplished and all those kinds of things. They're doing this in a public restaurant. I think it was a Panera Bread. and That's where I
0: like to plan all my hideous crimes. A woman know?
1: at a table nearby overhears this, thinks that she is a murderess for hire, and um, leaves her a note offering her... Um, A certain amount of money to kill this woman's husband. So uh, Finley Donovan is actually, of course, not interested in murdering anyone. She's got two little kids, an annoying ex-husband. She just wants to pay her bills and get this next novel finished. But things just start happening from there. And that's that's the first book. Yeah. The second book continues. I can't really give a lot of the plot without... I, I can't give a lot of details because the first book ends... With what the second book is going to deal with. Okay. So if I tell you too much about what the second book is about, it's going to ruin the ending of the first book.
0: Are we going to continue this like weekend at Bernie's in reverse trend of things just conveniently happening that continue to drag us deeper? She causes and deeper? some
1: things in this one though. Uh-huh. Like In this one, she's 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 been around the, on this merry go round before. She kind of understands more about how it works. <laughs> um, she's still not interested in in killing anybody, but she is interested more in solving the crimes. Um, and so it, it was a really fun book. Honestly, um, for me, with murder mystery kinds of things, they need to be on the cozy mystery side because I like to sleep at night. And this one was not scary, but it was a little stressful. Um, it just kind of kept my heart rate going all the way through. So actually, I really, really liked it. And I have already been recommending this series to a couple of women that I work with. So if you like murder mysteries, and also they're funny. These books are just hilarious. So it's a it's a really good Mixture. I can't remember if I've seen that they're picking this up for TV or if I just thought this really, really would be like a good TV it miniseries. Feels
0: like it would. Yeah. Anyway,
1: um, it's excellent. These these books are great. The next one I read was a reread. It's called Love Lettering by Kate Claiborne. I've talked about her a couple of times on here because I read Love Lettering last summer and then I read her newest book, which is title I can't remember right now, um, when it came out. As well, she is just a really, really good writer who centers things very well in place. These are, Love Lettering is a romance. It's set in New York City. I love books set in New York City. Mm -hmm. Um, The characters are fabulous. So it was just a really fun book to read, and I enjoyed the reread just as much. Um, The next one is called The Love of My Life, and it's by Rosie Walsh. This is a brand new book. You've probably seen it places. Um, It gets prominence in our local Barnes & Noble. I've seen it on the shelves at Target. It was a Book of the Month Club pick. It's all over the place. It's a huge book. Um, In this book, the main character has cancer, and um, her husband is a prominent obituary writer, and he is asked to plan her obituary, as is sometimes done for public figures, like their obituaries are pre-written. She's not really that kind of public figure, but because of him and then because of a couple of things that she's done in um the wildlife kinds of circles, she's a, a biologist of some kind. I believe a marine biologist would be the best way to classify it. Um, the his newspaper asks him to go ahead and 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 write this, which would be a difficult job for any husband. But as he starts to write this, he finds some questions about her life that he has never gotten answered, and he starts to dig into those and uncovers a world of secrets, which make him wonder if he ever really knew the woman with whom he has been in love. So it's a fascinating setup for a book. Rosie Walsh is an excellent writer. I really liked her last book, which was I think her last book was Ghosted. I read that and really enjoyed it, too. This one um, was very well written. If it hadn't been, I don't think that it would have kept me going all the way through because I don't like things that are kind of like melodrama and just huge emotional bursts. This this is just not my thing, really. Um, But this book managed to handle these huge emotional bursts really well in a way that kept me going all the way to the end. So if you have liked Rosie Walsh or you think that that premise sounds good, check out The Love of My Life. All right, two more, two more, and then we can get into our shared book. Tacos for Two by Betsy St. Amant. I have wondered sometimes if I read too many feel-good, comforty kinds of books, and then I think there's no such thing as too many comfort kinds of books.
0: It's a great title. This
1: one was actually recommended to me um, in a group where they were looking at food books, and they suggested this as being a really good fiction book about food and those two things. I mean, we all know I love books about food. So in this book, our main character is running a food truck that sells tacos. She inherited it from her aunt and she feels pressure to carry on her aunt's legacy even though she cannot cook and her real goal was to be a party planner. She finds herself set up in unwitting competition against a um, son of the town's most prominent law firm who doesn't wanna be a lawyer anymore and who wants to operate a food truck selling, you guessed it, tacos which puts him in competition with her. It all gets complicated, of course, by the fact that the two of them don't realize that they are um, messaging each other <laughs> on a dating app
0: with many, got many references
1: in it to You've Got Mail because they like that movie very much.
0: Um, Who does not? It
1: was, just, it was such a cheesy, sweet little book to read, and I, I just thoroughly enjoyed it because... You know, you're following something, that, a couple of books that are kind of stressful, really. <laughs> Murder mysteries and deep secrets. I thought it was probably time to read a little bit about tacos and just a really cute love story. And that's what this was. The last thing that I finished over these past two weeks was Bread and Wine by Shauna nequist Talked about that on here before as well. I love everything Shauna nequist And if you like food and you like essays, you should definitely pick up this book. It has both of them. I make her recipes all the time. Um, last week I made her bread recipe that she ends the book with. Her blueberry crisp is one of my all-time favorites. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's, it's, it's an excellent book. She's a gorgeous writer and I am very much looking forward to her new book, which will be out on April 12th and is called, I guess I haven't learned that yet. I have it pre-ordered. I can't wait for it to get here.
0: Is that the one that was like lost at sea? There was some book that you pre-ordered that's lost at sea. This fascinates me. I can't help it.
1: That was the lazy genius one. That was supposed to come out at the end of this month, but now it's coming out in May because the ship ship dumped a third of them in the ocean. Two thirds of them were salvaged.
0: Sounds like a mob deal. Maybe I've been watching The Sopranos too much.
1: You have definitely been watching (laughs) The Sopranos too much. Okay, let's talk about our shared read, which is called Music is History by Questlove.
0: Yes, Uh, I read this a while back. Uh, Questlove, of course, the legendary, outstanding drummer, possibly the outstanding drummer of our times, uh, goes deep on music, goes deep on history and the conjunction of the two. Um, I've often thought about... Trying to write a book which would be not dissimilar to this, with the major disadvantage that I am not Questlove, <laughs> uh, and my taste is not as good as Questlove's. Uh, but what he's done here is go year by year and Starting look at music in and history. Nineteen
1: seventy-one.
0: Yeah, and granted, he goes up to two thousand one and then does one more big swoop to the present. It's it's um, hard to
1: have a good enough perspective when you get much closer than that.
0: Well, and and it's a little comforting to see that Questlove recognizes what I know, which is when you get to a certain age, you stop listening to any new music, so um, it's hard to be real objective about it if you don't keep up with it. So... I think that's part of it. Part of it is he feels like the post-9-11 world is different than everything that came before, and maybe that's uh, a compelling reason, too. He have
1: a lot of really interesting theories which he espouses in this book.
0: Very much. And I also love that while he does this every year thing, his reasoning even within that can be weird. He could be like, this song actually came out in 1974, but I heard it in 1977, so it's my 1977 song. So... Uh... But he
1: looks at the way that what was going on in the time period combines with the music and how the two of them together make up the history that we understand and what might we have missed from it.
0: Well, and it's a fascinating thing because if you love music and you love history, and and I really do love both, this Mm -hmm. idea of the fusion of the two... um, You know, I mean, popular music is a fairly recent thing, and trying to write critically about popular music is a fairly recent thing. A guy like Grail Marcus starts around 1970, and really before that, nobody does this. Nobody thinks about it. We need somebody to say Elvis is significant for more than selling records. The Beatles meant something. Bob Dylan meant something. Questlove is largely a child of the 70s and the 80s, and so that's where his heart lies. And And he
1: looks mostly at hip-hop in its roots.
0: Yes, he yes. does not
1: attempt to look at like the whole spectrum of music. Right,
0: this is not a, a book about country music no. or, or, you know, I was going to say jazz fusion, but he does tap that but a little does, bit. But he
1: only looks at other things in that they relate to hip hop and the development of it and the the role that they had in history.
0: Yeah, and and because that was his world. So and
1: specifically, then the things like with African American history, yes, that have gotten left out of popular history.
0: Yes, which is generally a neglected subcomponent of history anyway. So uh, it can be a little bit uneven. It can be a little bit jarring to do this whole year-to-year thing because essentially every chapter is its own little essay. Yes. Uh, but at They're the same really time... They're not really connected very no. well.
1: The only thing that connects them is at the start of each chapter, he does a little bullet point. Mm-hmm. Like 1971, bullet point of the big historical things and cultural things that happened in that year, mm-hmm. which he may or may not even mention again. Yeah, a lot of essays. them he won't. Yeah, But he's just, that's the only thing that really connects these. That's the thread that runs through. The rest of it, every essay is different.
0: But at the same time, uh, that can be a little uneven, but it can also be very liberating because if you read one which hits on a piece of music which you don't particularly know, which happened to me a lot. I mean, again, Questlove and my record collection don't overlap a great deal, probably to uh, my detriment, but um, it didn't really matter. If, if there was one that didn't particularly speak to me, the next one might, so well, I like I'm gonna that. Well, am going
1: to go ahead and say that the, the best part of this book for me, because I didn't, I had no context, really. I don't know a lot about hip hop. I don't know about the roots of hip hop. And I would say that it's, if you want to read this book, it's very helpful to have some of that because I was lost in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Since I did not, he, he expects you to have some background coming in. He expects you to have a basic idea of what he's going to talk about so that he can go deep on it. And if you don't have that basic idea, it's very hard for you. So one of the things that I really liked about it was I was like, okay, I've heard of many of these artists. I just haven't listened to very much. And so like our son got out his James Brown records after Quick was talking about James Brown and and he and I sat down and listened to some of those together. And so that was really fun for me because of course Ryan is very much into hip hop and its roots. Yeah. So being able to learn some of that with Ryan um, was really fun. But I do think it would have been more helpful to me had I had that basic understanding before I tried to read the book.
0: Yeah, so that that will help, but it is not, you know, directly required. You can come to it from wherever you are, and I think would find meaning in it. But probably more if you're familiar with his frame of reference. But at the same time, an interesting book. Uh, you know, one of the things I feel like comes up a lot of times in here is we read important books and we read fun books. This book manages to kind of put a foot in both camps and and I think fit both ways, Yeah, which is a pretty cool thing and no small feat for a guy who this isn't his day job.
1: Well, we have talked about, in reference to this book, it is different from any other music book that we've ever read or seen. Mm -hmm. The concept and the way that he approaches it, it's unique and it's necessary. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: But yeah, you're right. It's also, it's very fun.
0: Yeah, yeah, he has a distinct voice mm-hmm. and, and does a good job with it. I'll be interested to see what else he, he has to say. We watched part of his master class, and that was pretty fascinating.
1: And that felt, yeah, listening to him on that felt like the same as reading uh-huh. this book.
0: Very true, very true. Okay, well, what what is it that we're reading next time? You're reading it now. So I you, am. It's
1: called Undistracted by Bob Goff. He's the author of Love Does. That um, was
0: the other big one. There was another. Did the,
1: Everybody Always?
0: I don't remember what the name of the, I can't remember. the breakthrough book for him that everybody Love was like, Does. oh, Bob Goff. Was
1: <laughs> it? Yes.
0: I thought there was one before that.
1: There may have been, but Love Does was probably his biggest one. Mm. He had Love Doves for kids. He had all kinds of stuff. Yeah. You will notice if you've listened to this podcast for a long time, we can never remember the names of things we've already read. No. So. Um, but Bob Goff, anyway, I'm halfway through the book and uh, you'll get it when I'm done and mm-hmm. we will talk to you about that in two weeks. Yep. If you have anything that you think we ought to read if you just um have books that you want to share with us please get in touch with us at paperbackreaderspod at gmail.com you can find us on instagram at paperbackreaderspod you can find us on twitter at pbackreaderspod and i invite you to check out our instagram definitely after today because our son would like credit for the picture (laughs) i'm about to post there since it includes his record player and his james brown record.
0: I will put your name in the show notes if you send us an email or somehow reach out to us in social media and manage to tie Questlove and Bob Goff together. So there's your challenge. But in the meanwhile, thanks,